Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you, worship team, for blessing us. My wife, Jessica, she's been losing her voice for the last three days, so you pulled it through. Well done. She's just got to sing one more time tonight at Graceland Youth. What? Thank you for reminding me. The elementary kids, Studio G, have been in here for worship just because it was kind of a fun experience. Uh, Miss Jessica was here, but I'm going to dismiss them to Studio G right now. Church, let's give them a giant hand. We love our Studio G kids. Come on. Kids, we love you. Uh, men in the house, I want to just highlight something we're doing for the first time ever. It is the Brotherhood Camp Out, Friday, September 29th at 7 o'clock. So you can just come after work to Saturday, September 30th at 2 p.m. It's not all day Saturday. So it's really just a night, an all-nighter. Don't you miss the, the days of all-nighters as youth? We're not going to stay up all night. Trust me, not me at least. And then we're going to be done by 2 p.m. the next day. We're going to feast on Friday night. We're going to grill out on the land of grace, on our church property. And we're going to bring tents. If you have a tent, let us know how many can stay. We're going to have extra tents. We're going to feast on Saturday morning. I'm not that rugged, so on Saturday morning, we're going to cater breakfast. Can I get an amen? I'm not joking. We're going to cater a really good breakfast on Saturday morning. I hope every man in our church can come. This particular one is 18 and up. We will be doing future brotherhood events where you can bring your teenage sons. That is vitally important. It's just not this event. It's 50 per person. We're going to do things like trap shooting and growing and prayer and just hang time and worship. And I tell you what, if nothing else, it's going to be an experience because we've never camped out on the land of grace before. Um, sign up. I need you guys to actually go and register. You can use that QR code. It'll take you right to the website. It's gracelandchurch.com slash campout. If the $50 is a problem for you, let us know. We want to cover you guys. Uh, if there's any financial hardship, we have sponsorships available. I also wanted to highlight, I've been doing this a lot recently because we're in a transition with our youth. We're, we're in transition pastorally with youth, but our leadership team is so strong. Our youth are so amazing. Our youth parents are incredible. Right now, I'm stepping in pastorally and working with our team until we uh, hire and find our new youth pastor. And tonight, we're starting a series called You Asked For It, where the students text in questions anonymously. So the first topic is dealing with anxiety, and this is for six to 12th graders. Every Sunday night, we have fun, games, snacks, um, and then we're also gonna be growing as disciples of Jesus and trying to encourage our students, you can be honest with God, right? And, and he desires us to be honest seekers and those that wrestle with honest questions, and he meets us right there. If you're an adult and would like to help us out, with Graceland Youth, please let me know. We're, we're continuing to build that team. We've actually got 27 families in our church with youth-age kids, and multiple of those families have multiple students, and some of those youth, youth also bring friends. So our youth ministry has really been growing, and God's blessing it. It's a, it's a cool moment in the life of these students. I also want to ask you a question before the message. How many of you are like me and love the old school hymns? Anybody in the house? Okay, I'm a huge fan of hymns. It's hard to get these young worship leaders to do these songs because they don't know these songs. 
yeah, can we all, be, no, I'm just kidding. Um, we're gonna do a hymn thing coming up. It, this first one is not gonna be on a Sunday morning. We will be doing a Sunday morning at some point where we just do a lot of beautiful hymns. Um, but this will be an event specifically for our prime timers ministry, but open to everyone in our church. Our prime timers is a way of saying our seniors, not seniors in high school, but seniors in age. Can we hear it for our seniors in the house? Come on, we love you guys. Man, I want Graceland Church to be the hottest spot in town for prime timers. I'm not joking. Like, I have a huge heart for prime timers, um, not just the ones in our church, but the ones in our community. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but people in those senior years oftentimes struggle with loneliness more than ever in their life. And we have need in our area with lots of prime timers and opportunity to love, to serve, to build relationship. I want this to be the spot, Graceland Church. Bring all the prime timers in. We're gonna let you know the exact day and time of this hymn saying, we've been doing prime timers ministry we're gonna continue to ramp up and see what God does. But if you are a young person, like so many young people that I know, and I mean, let's say 60 and under, if you're that type of young person and you are hungry for mentorship in your life, come hang out with our prime timers. I am dead serious. These are people that have walked with the Lord for decades and would love to pour their lives into you and your marriage and your life, your career, your decisions. Go see your therapist, that's fine. But if you run out of money, come hang with our prime timers. They've probably got more wisdom than your therapist. I'm just saying, I, and I'm not joking at all. Every time I talk to our prime timers and we do these gatherings, I say, can I come? Can, can younger folks come? And they're like, yes, they would love that. So open invitation, we'll let you guys know the details on that soon. One of the things I say to our prime timers, and I also wanna say it to you this morning, is there is a reason that you are here. Sometimes, um, the older we get, we have to be reminded, and it's beautiful to remember, there's a reason we are still here. And listen to me carefully, God is not done working in your life, period. He is not done. He is still drawing you closer to him. He's also not done moving through your life. I think there are some here this morning that feel like you have somehow hit the end of the road and things are just kind of over. It's kind of like you know, throw in the towel, put up the white flag of surrender, it's over. But I wanna share a message called, it's not over yet. We've been studying the Gospel of John for about two years. We're gonna finish it next month. It's funny, when I came in and saw our welcome card this morning that has our sermon notes on it, I read this, believe series through John, it's not over yet. <laughs> We've been in it forever, Gospel of John. That's not the meaning of the title today. It hit me like that this morning. It's funny, things always uh, come back and mean different things later in the future. But today, we're actually gonna read in John chapter 19 about the death and burial of Jesus. It is an unimaginable end to his life of miracles, healing, hope, and faith. It's truly an unthinkable end to the promises of God. And that's what it seemed like to people then. Oh, perhaps he's not ushering in the kingdom we thought. Could this really be the end? And there's an overriding principle today. It's number one in your notes. Even when it seems like all hope is lost, it's not over yet. God has the final word. I believe this is a word from God for some of you today specifically, and he's gonna speak to you powerfully. And that's been my prayer this week. Let's start in John chapter 19. 
verse one. The context here is Jesus has been arrested and turned over. And it says, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, hail the king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. So this escalated very quickly. When we studied John 18 last week, just hearing about one slap in the face, it it catches you off guard when you really put yourself in the context here. This Jesus, this savior of the world, this teacher of hope and of life and of faith, this one who invites us to everlasting life is allowing himself, as we're gonna study again, this has been the plan from the very beginning. He's allowing himself to go to these such great lengths because of this salvation that he's invited us into. And now he's being flogged. He's essentially being tortured. They're cutting his head with this fake crown. They're mocking him. They're slapping him. And in verse four, once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. So still Pilate is completely unconvinced that he should be crucified. But in verse six, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, Jesus, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Be reminded, these chief priests are the religious leaders of the day. Those that are meant to lead the people of God towards God are yelling at God, crucify, crucify. And here is Jesus going to such great lengths, knowing it's not over yet. Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. So they're trying to use the law of God against Jesus to justify his crucifixion. And just by way of side note, um, be careful out there today. There's lots of people teaching all kinds of things in the name of God, trying to use God's scripture, but it doesn't mean that it represents the truth of God's heart. Right? Just because something comes on your feed on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook doesn't mean that that teacher is speaking from the heart of God, even if they're quoting scripture. Satan himself quoted scripture to Jesus when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. How insane, as if that would have any effect on Jesus. But Satan himself, he tries to twist it, and they're doing that to try to get Jesus to be crucified and for it to seem justified to them. And in verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? You can see Pilate in this chapter getting more and more uncomfortable. He doesn't see a reason for crucifixion for Jesus. He doesn't understand what's going on. The mob of the religious leaders are shouting for him to be crucified. Pilate is more and more wondering who this guy is. And Jesus is like this powerful, non-anxious presence who doesn't give any authority over to Pilate, yet submits to it. That's uncomfortable. You might've even experienced this. When you're around someone that is so comfortable in their skin, even in the midst of suffering, you have no angle on them. It can make you uncomfortable in your own insecurity. Jesus is in perfect peace. Make no mistake, he's suffering, but he knows why he is suffering. He has said yes to this, and he is in control. 
And Pilate here, in a fascinating way, is demonstrating more wisdom than the religious leaders because he was demonstrating a fear of God. Even though he didn't know Jesus, he had a reverence for what was happening. Jesus answered in verse 11, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And just a reminder to the principles we studied last week, no one had the power to force Jesus to the cross. And he says it here himself. This was, in fact, the plan of God for our salvation from the beginning. So no soldier, no betrayer, no government, no mob has any power over God's plan. And that's still true today, by the way. Jesus was in complete control as he willingly gave himself up, fully aware of why he was suffering. He was going to such great lengths and he knew it was not over yet. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Can you believe that? We now have Pilate opposing the mob. He's saying, I'm gonna try to free this guy. Pilate actually tried to get Jesus out of there. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. They're now attacking Pilate. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. So. The religious leaders are saying, okay, you might not care that he's broken our law, but he's breaking the law of Caesar. That's your king. So if you don't crucify him, we're gonna come after you. This is the mob mentality. What a scene. The secular authority trying to free Jesus, the religious authority now using any angle they can to get what they want. We must crucify him. And this is such evidence of our sinful nature and how it intersects with our mob mentality. Part of our sinful nature is we use whatever we must to get whatever we want. And some of us live like that regularly. That is sin. It's using people. That's why people can justify such insane things that hurt others or that cause such harm and destruction if it leads to what they want. And this is sin. They're using whatever they must to get what they want, which is Jesus crucified, and you, you, you connect that with mob mentality, when the majority of people are doing it, this is mob mentality, it means we just fall right in line. If everyone's doing it, I guess I'm going to do it. And, and I bet you some of those individuals might not have been standing there yelling, crucify him, but together they're yelling, crucify him. And it's interesting if you study mob mentality in today's day and age, it used to be you actually had to be around a mob to give in to mob mentality. Now we're so connected to one another that we're... We, we are tempted every day, whatever kind of the social IQ or can God and his kingdom. It's opposed to God and his kingdom. The enemy wants to use all these things. It's not the people, but we're in a spiritual war. Are you guys tracking with me? So selfishness mixed with mob mentality, mixed with trying to justify our own position leads to the brokenness we have in the world. That's why we have brokenness like we do. Reading on in verse 13, when Pilate heard this, He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. It's like he's just exhausted and giving up. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. They've now disregarded God. We have no king but Caesar. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. 
So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had noticed, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them in four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. So while God in the flesh, the savior of the world is suffering and dying on the cross, gasping for breath, they're playing a game with his clothes. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John talking about himself, He said to her, imagine this, Jesus, while on the cross, gasping for breath after having been tortured, looks at his mom, who's watching him, and says, woman, here's your son, talking to John. And to John, he said, here's your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. It's such a beautiful picture of how the family of God is not just blood relation. Like this is Jesus, the creator, the king of kings and Lord of lords saying, she's now your mom. You're now his son. Go and live that out. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So Jesus is dead. Now it was the day of preparation. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man, who had been crucified with Jesus, and then the bones of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. That's been the theme of this whole book, to believe. Verse 36, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, 
the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Pause there for one second. It's just really interesting to know that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who we read about in John chapter three, he was literally a religious leader and he came to Jesus at night. They had both become disciples of Jesus, but secretly because they feared the persecution of their peers. They are the two authorized by God under Pilate to go get his body. Look at verse 40. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it. That's the dead body of Jesus. They wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Number two in your notes. The body of Jesus was dead, wrapped, and buried in a tomb, but it wasn't over yet. Seems like it's over. You don't get more over than that. You don't get more dead than that. He was completely dead. He was buried, wrapped with spices and linens. It's not over because God has the final word. I want to read the incredible scripture that Jessica read earlier out of Colossians 1 while we think about this moment where Jesus is actually dead in a tomb. Verse 15 of Colossians 1 says, the son is the image of the invisible God. That's Jesus who's now dead in a tomb. The firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. Did you catch that? All things were created in and through Jesus who's now dead in a tomb, willingly. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's talking about the body of Christ, us. Right now, the body of Christ in this moment that we're studying is dead. There is no church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He actually became dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. That's the blood that he just shed that has now caused him to be dead. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And then in Hebrews 12, 24, it says, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant is the law. It's still God's inspired word to us, but it's the law. The new covenant is the age of grace. And it says, and to the sprinkled blood, that is the blood of Jesus that was literally just shed, that led to him being dead in the tomb, that sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. 
So number three in your notes. What appeared to be the end was actually the way to the new beginning, the new covenant, and the final word of God. The better word is the final word. What appeared to be the finality of death was the beginning of life. So I have a few simple questions for you today. Do you want to accept this new life in Jesus today? Do you want to accept the better and final word? Do you want to trust God and remember it's not over yet? Your life is not over yet. Whatever dead situation is in your life is not over yet. Whatever seems like the end of the road in your life is not over yet. When it seems like the end, it's not. When it seems like you should quit, you shouldn't. When it seems like there's no hope, it's not true. When it seems like death is one, it's a lie. God will have the final word. We believe, and I believe with all my hearts, we have an everlasting life with God. Even death, our own death, is not the final word. His blood speaks a better word. His blood speaks the final word. What seemed like Jesus' greatest loss was the victory of heaven. And at any moment, you can choose to step into that life of Jesus, step into that victory. So as the band comes up, I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes with me, bow your hearts. And I wanna ask you, what word will you believe? Will you believe the final word, the better word that the blood of Jesus speaks over you? Or will you believe your own words? Will you believe the words of someone else, some human that has said things about you? Will you believe the words of the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy? Will you believe the words of what the world says around you? Or do you wanna believe the better and final word? Is there any area of your life where you're not accepting believing and living according to the better and final word of the blood of Jesus. Is there any area? I know there is. For all of us, there is. This is the process of bringing our lives back to him, receiving what he has said. Let me pause that for one second. Can you look at me? I want to share a story to illustrate before we sing and take communion. It's kind of a silly story, but just bear with me. Um, I was feeling a little under the weather earlier this week, and so I was taking emergency. You guys know that powder you can put in your drink? It makes you feel great in the morning. It's like... And I tried to get like a cheap version of it and it was terrible. So I had to get the real stuff, emergency. Then Jessica told me, you know, if you would just take this vitamin every day, she tries to get me to take this vitamin every day, I never take it. Because years ago, I took it once and it upset my stomach. So in my mind, that vitamin hurts me. <laughs> I'm like, nope, I'm not taking your drugs, sweetheart. But she said, you know, in this vitamin that I try to get you to take every day, she's just given up at this point. We're talking years of years of like me not taking what she gives me. Um, in that vitamin is, is not only all the vitamin C in that emergency, but lots of other things that would be really good for you every day. It would really, really help you out. And I'm like, nope, don't think so. She's walking in right now while I'm talking to her about her. I'm like, nope, I don't think so. And that's because years ago I had some bad experience with that little pill and I blame the pill and my point being in a moment like that it's wise for us to question our own thinking it's important to even question experiences that have led to things that we just believe are true and what I know is that there are some things that you are thinking and believing 
that are not true. They're not. There are things you think about yourself. There are ways that you approach your spouse or your friends or your siblings or parents or kids or grandkids that aren't true. There are things that you fear about your relationship with God. It's like you tried the pill four years ago and -and so-and-so happens. Now you're like, nope. And I wanna encourage you to question your own thinking this morning. Question it and, and question it with this question. Is there any area of your life where you're not accepting? This is not striving. This is not earning. Is there any area where you're not accepting the better and final word of the blood of Jesus? So Lord, I pray you'll help us with this. We repent before you. We ask for God, the grace, the ability to say yes in a more full way to what you've done through the cross. Church, we're going to take communion. Everyone is welcome to take it. If you take it and choose to, you're saying yes to Jesus and you're saying yes to his better and final word. So if you need a pack, go ahead and raise your hand up and one of our team members will bring it around. Hold your hand up for just a moment. Everyone is welcome. Our team uh, up here on the stage, we took communion this morning during our prayer huddle since they're up here playing. Let's go ahead and open up the side that has the bread in it and take it in your hand. If you'll just hold it and close your eyes with me to pray, this bread represents the body of Jesus broken so that our body could be whole. How amazing. You wonder about all the brokenness in the world. You wonder about all the pain. I do too. I wish it wasn't the case. I wish people weren't dying. I wish people weren't starving. I wish there wasn't murder. I wish there wasn't hatred. I wish people weren't devouring one another. But this is the result of selfishness, sin, brokenness, cast upon brokenness, cast upon brokenness. Jesus takes it all upon his own body, all of it. And he says, I will swallow all of this up so that we can be whole again. New heavens, new earth, new life. That's the gospel. So Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you for going to such great lengths for us. Thank you that you knew it was not over when you were getting slapped in the face and mocked. And remind us as we partake that it's not over for us. We remember as we eat. Go ahead and take the juice. This is representative of the blood of Jesus. It's the actual blood of Jesus was shed, which we just read about. And the actual blood of Jesus caused things in the heavenly realms to change forever in the spiritual realms. This is just an act of remembrance, which Jesus commanded us to do in Corinthians. He said, this is my cup. It is the new covenant in my blood. And do this whenever you drink it in remembrance. Notice the theme. He's always saying, you got to remember this. How many of you guys know we need to remember this over and over and over and over again? So, Lord, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you allowed your blood to be shed. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. And as we drink today, remind us that your blood speaks a better and final word over our lives. And we thank you for it. Let's drink. I'll pray this benediction. And, oh, that reminds me, we're going to have a prayer and worship night. What's the date? 
September 10th, I'm looking at some of our worship team, where we do just like worship for two hours and pray. It's, the youth are all gonna be involved. It's gonna be our youth night that night. It's a Sunday night, five to seven o'clock. It's gonna be amazing. So it's what, only three weeks away, I think, something like that. Um, let me pray this benediction will be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Love you guys.